Scotty, Scotty, are you finally here, Scotty? Will you bring some good cheer, Scotty? Did you reboot your life? Yay! <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, finally. Uh, yeah, one of those weird ones I plugged the headphones in, weren't working. When I got another set of headphones, weren't working. Reboot headphones are working. So, yeah, the joys of uh, operating systems and uh, Mac OS. And I'm not running a beta one. This is the current shipping operating system. So before I get, oh, that's what you get for running a beta. I haven't um, I haven't put, uh, uh, is it, uh, Mac OS Pet Detective on um, my uh, uh, main machine yet. So <laughs> Pet Detective, is that what it's called? Well, it's Ventura, isn't it? As in Ace Ventura, isn't that the? G- oh right, yes. yes. I hadn't thought about that. Yes, so Mac, Mac, Mac OS Pet Detective, as I am affectionately calling it. <laughs> okay. Oh dear. Anyway, John, are you running um, uh, Ventura, or are you staying thoroughly on uh, on um, what was what? Well, I can't even. This is it now. I've, I've even lost track um, of what the one was called that we were running before. What was it? What's it called? The latest one. I, I... Think Monterey. I could be That's wrong. That's the one, though. Monterey. That's the one. See, the, this marketing is working so well that we can remember exactly what it isn't. So there we are. Well, Scotty, you know how with great fanfare they they talk about all the beautiful places in California where they go to find inspiration for a name. And I have to say, um, you know, I'd like to rag on Northern California, even though I've lived here in San Francisco longer than anywhere else in my life. I did move here from from New York. And I would regularly kind of talk about these hippy-dippy, you know, sage-burning, whatever, folk out here. And last night, uh, it being January 21st, it's summer solstice, the longest day of the year. It's also my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mommy. Um, and I probably should include some some photos and, and video because it was truly spectacular, spectacularly beautiful. And yesterday, thank you, climate change, it was like 94 degrees in San Francisco, which is pretty off the charts. But San Francisco benefits from generally being a fairly cool weather-wise place. Um, and just the walk down to see the sun, the birds, you know, the sound of the surf. There weren't too many people there. Um, and I, I was able to clear the beach because I took off my shirt and, and rolled up my pants and dove into the surf along with the other better equipped, better looking and better prepared folks. Uh, but in a purifying ceremony, um, I think that many of the ills of the last couple of weeks seem to have melted away from the gloriousness of it. Do you think the waters around San Francisco Bay could be used to purify anything? Or are they better now? Because there was a time when they were fairly not nice, wasn't it? Well, I mean, mostly they were radioactive. I think that, you know, the bay is that, pretty that, clean. I think, that, I think that counts as not nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> no, they're perfectly clean. They're just radioactive. <laughs> I mean, you know, what sort of second-hand car salesman are you? <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing, like there's lots of, you know, it, it, it's a little bit counterintuitive, I suppose, but there's so much tidal action that generally speaking, the, the water is, is at least it's agitated a lot. And there, there really was never, it wasn't like New York where there was, you know, constant stuff or the Thames, God help us, you know, just tough, tons of stuff in there and not that much movement. Um, but the reason why it's radioactive is that, you know, there was a bunch of, of radioactive waste left over from the Navy that was deposited somewhere out 
in Farallon Islands. Um, and I think it's kind of more or less contained. Um, I hope it is because that's, you know, we do eat crabs out of the bay. Um, but uh, it's not, it, 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 at least it's not kind of foul smelling and like, you know, like the New York area. But even that's gotten cleaner over the years. But here, hear me out. There's going to be a useful uh, segue here to some some thoughts that I had. You know, New York, uh, the, the the Hudson River um, is bad in New York uh, because there was there was you know a lot of industry upstate, and General Electric in particular was a company or Union Carbide, one of those two that manufactured transformers, and so they they put PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls, I think, are deadly deadly poisonous stuff. And they just dumped it in the river unceremoniously. And at various points, they thought, well, you know, we should clean it up and we should dig it up. We should dredge the river, which, as it turned out, was a big mistake because that, of course, agitated and made it come off. That nature has a, a way of, like, saying, oh, my God, this stuff is terrible. And eventually dead bodies and, and, and mud and silt kind of covers it. And that, in the end, is a, a better way. to. It's, it's, it's actually better just to leave it in there. And that, of course, makes me think of legacy code <laughs> because... a question came up amongst my colleagues we were having a contest to see it's like because somebody had posted an article about the end of complicated software and it was bringing up the question of you know stuff that runs uh, for a long time and the stuff that manages to survive running for a long time is stuff that that ultimately is pretty simple and and you know in the in the in the olden days of software engineering where you didn't have a new software design pattern every two weeks, um, you just kind of relied on the simplicity of what was common to every single programming language. It was like for loops and if-then statements and, and, and the most primitive kind of, you know, uh, structures and who and, and it we could only run in one place you didn't have it like you know broken out in a million different places and and, and run into all those issues and you were lucky to have a single core cpu <laughs> so if you wanted multitasking you did it the unix way you would just spawn off multiple processes and 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 because of the the, the sheer you know savage simplicity of it the software itself had to be very simple and so uh, a colleague was said uh, posted a survey on Slack and saying, "Okay, you know who who has the oldest code that you can still find running in production?" Of course, I was like fucking grandpa, I should be able to find something. And I did find some instance of of some evidence of uh, software that I first wrote um, using web objects a million years ago still running somewhere. Um, so that kind of made me happy, but I was recalling the fact that the, the, the this is how I got my start writing WebScript, which is an interpreted version of Objective-C, and that one of the samples that I found somewhere that was very helpful was a, a kind of an app-level exception handler. It would just push it up from the, the component level to the page level all the way up to the app level. You could, you could swallow the exception, and you could get the backtrace, and you could have it send an email. So I, in fact, did that. And it was very lovely because I could then see the exception and because large portions of it were written in web script, I could tell net to that device, copy, you know, FTP, a, a, a corrected bit of code, which was script, and then call the customer and saying, hey, I heard, I saw that there was a problem. 
But if you just reload your page, you'll see that I fixed it. And I turned a terrible bug into a feature because they thought, oh, my God, you're so responsive. This is wonderful. How do you know these things? You know, putting aside the fact that I could tell their network. And this was before SCP or, 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 or SSL for web apps or anything like that existed. But I tell all these things, and I will shut up soon, is, is, is two things, is that every now and then it's nice to, to look at the sun, look at the water coming in and out, and realize that that same water, that same sun has been beating down, uh, you know, and signaling the birds to go flying about while we humans every now and then come back out to nature to, to, to experiencing it, and then walk, you know, return refreshed from the you know, heavily particle charged air and probably radioactive since it was in San Francisco, feeling happy about the universe, realizing that our tiny little problems, um, as big as they are, uh, are really nobody in the universe cares about it, (laughs) including whether we were extinct in another two weeks. So hi, Scotty, how are you? Well, John, you're just sending me down memory lane here on sort of like legacy code things, which I'm sure we've spoken about many, many times before, but uh, I remember I was working on a, a project back in, it was actually in the nuclear industry, um, oh, it was back <laughs> in the, the mid-90s, the mid um, so yeah, I mean, already that's legacy in old code, but we were we were moving, working with a language called PL1, remember the language PL1, did you ever come across that in your time? I've heard of it. Okay, so uh, programming language one is what PL one stood for, um, and so I was uh, doing doing some working up, moving a system from one IBM mainframe to another IBM mainframe uh, that was being upgraded, and the operating systems were slightly different, so we we're doing a migration testing, all the rest of it, and we came across this uh, assembler file, about a dozen lines maybe, and nobody could work out what it did. And it had first been written in 1962, according to uh, the, the, the comments in the file. And um, it, we spent a number of days trying to work out what it did. And all we could ever find out was if it was there, the system would build. And if it wasn't there, the system wouldn't build. So we just merrily, after a few days, said, fine, <laughs> leave it there and moved on. <laughs> so so um, there we are. There's the uh, there's the answer. We're looking at problems, folks. If you can't solve them, ignore them. Exactly. <laughs> well, Scotty, in, in addition to the, the trip down memory lane, I can talk about something more recent, something I discovered yesterday. Wow, that's going from 1963 to yesterday. That's like, you know, John, we're just like zipping all over the timosphere. Well, and, and the song yesterday was written not that long after 1963, I think. <laughs> okay, go for it. So, uh, uh, I think I well yes I've been boring the our listener with tales of 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 this project I've been working on for a long time and I'm pretty sure I told people that I've been so-called Roman writing I love that phrase it's, and I think it literally comes down to when a single you know centurion or or Roman soldier is, has one leg on one chariot and another leg on the other chariot and I think that the reason why they do that is because the other chariot driver had been shot and killed or whatever speared or and so they were trying to to, to to drive two chariots with one driver and sometimes you have to do that when you're in the midst of a transition in fact that is the case for this project I've been working on it's a brand new canvas and we're rewriting large portions of, of much of the inter- underpinnings of our app but yet still we have to ship and so when you find yourself in that transition phase you know a typical way of, of doing it is is 
is defining protocols and so that you can have, you know, objective C class classes and, you know, modern swift structs coexist in the same place. And where we settled on, 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 a, on a kind of technology standard is to, to use diffable data sources um, and compositional layout, which is, you know, the new hotness until Swift UI completely replaces all of that, which will happen any moment now. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it, I was finding that in the, the, the simple implementation I made, you know, everything was working great for removing items and, and reloading just sections of, of, of the collection view as, as needed. And and I think as as astute listeners or followers of, of of things know that you know instead of acting on the on the actual UI saying remove object at, you know remove cell cells at index path or reload them or so on and so forth, um, you just change the data and then through the magic of diffable data sources it can find out what is exactly changed and and Apple under the hood will do sorts of all sorts of magic for you that you can't really know what's going on, which is kind of good news and bad news if you're ever trying to debugging it. But it, when it works, it's nice because there's a whole lot less code that you have to work with and, and it kind of intuitively makes sense of, of you know, have your, have your UI observe the data and observe changes on. These are patterns that have, have you know, existed since the 90s with next step and, and, and key value binding and so on and so forth. Um, but anyway, um, I was finding that that things were not working and that you, you would kind of exit from the collection view, push to another navigation controller, and then when you come back or open, you know, present something modally and come back, it would reload the entire page in a very uh, annoying and disturbing way. You could actually see perceptible flicker because the entire thing would reload. And I was going, this thing sucks. This is terrible. And finally, we were debugging it, debugging and debugging it, and finding out that the reason why is that Diffable data sources depend on implementation of codable and, and hashable, um, particularly hashable in this particular case. And this kind of made me laugh a little bit, is that basically n none of the hash methods, you know, the implementations of hash were ever getting called in the Objective-C side, and we don't know why. So I just said, fine, fuck it. Uh, I will convert all my things, which were protocols based on on any object, and had the at Objective C whatever kind of modifier on it. Said I don't need it to be Objective C at the point where we were. I don't need it to be an object. There's no particular need. I could shift things around. I did those things, and lo and behold, it all worked happily. And the only thing that I had to to, to deal with is that uh, it's it's I, it's fairly common i think you know a nice thing i i i am i am of the believer of of smart models i really am i'm saying that and and i like protocols because uh, in the in in our world you can you can imagine there are objects or structs whatever that represent a video and a video can can be like a show it could be a trailer it could be representing a season recap any number of those different things um and, but it's a stand-in for it, and then a member might want to say, hey, I'd like to download this, for example. And so we have a download mechanism, and download is this asynchronous, potentially long-running process. So we have an Objective-C protocol that, that exists from when the feature was first written five, six years ago, however long, um, which can you know, observe the downloading process and then update uh, any, any object that has uh, a... a an object associated with it, and it really is a, an object that, that implements this protocol, so it can update the various states of it. And so, of course, if I wanted to add that to the entity that I was having that conformed to, to, to hashable, 
you can't hash those things unless you write the hash yourself. In other words, if you have something as a very, very primitive, something that can easily be represented as JSON or something, that's pretty easy to do. But if it's something that's more complicated, it doesn't work. And so then I had to make one other thing that would be a stand-in that would basically take an entity, which is in the form of a struct, and then hold on to this observer protocol and then make it all work. And I finally got it all working happily. But it was like one of those cases where I, I, I and people will sense a theme here. It's like once you've been through multiple transitions like this, you just intuitively do not believe that you that that you will get to this like, you know, day zero moment where you completely turn off something and completely turn on something. It's brand sparkling new, which if somebody says it's brand sparkling new and perfect, that really just means it's not debugged yet, <laughs> not yeah. not fully debugged and not not hardened from actually having been deployed in production for long enough to be able to shake out things that even the best testers can't find. Um, anyway, so that was my, that was my day, uh, my glorious day yesterday. Back to you, Scotty. Tell us about your glorious day. Oh well, I was um, I was dealing with yesterday. Uh, last couple of days, actually, one of these issues where yeah, I'm still working on this migration for a client of you know, which will be for a long time. And the but the it's all out with QA now, so lots of migrations are going on. There's lots of sample accounts set up with different data in, and the migration goes on, and they uh, test them all out and um, sees what happens. And we're getting this really weird um, uh, behavior in um, when you were trying to export stuff, and so you were putting up the um, uh, the you were selecting stuff and then you were passing off to the system control views that uh, then you know have the items and then you offer up all the different things that can go on and um what is that view called um the controller called i can't remember anyway uh and it was just like we were ending up with duplicates coming out so when you were doing an export of things so you'd select five items and it would export five items but then you realize that three of them were the same and you know, they weren't, um, and, and two were there. They were all from the five items you selected. And it it was just really weird. And it was like, oh, yeah, what's going on? So first of all, then you fire up the application and say, well, you know, does it do this on an account you haven't migrated? And the answer was, we thought no, because we couldn't make it happen. And so then it's, you know, plod through the migration code um, and, you know, it just all seems fine and, and uh, nothing wrong. And then, it was, um, I can't remember, for some reason, I, I did I, I did something that, you know, just uh, meant I used the old version of the app differently to the migration, and, oh, one minute, that now, that's now I'm not being able to reproduce it. And it, um, it just turned out, now, I'm not going to go into detail here, but it turned out that actually uh, there was a bug in the old app. Uh, that meant some of the old app's data was actually wrong. But this data was never actually used in any relevant way that caused any problems in the old app. But, of course, once migrated to the new app, the new app was doing things differently and was using this data. It was to do with an original file name in things. And uh, in the old app, when you've been doing certain things you ended up with duplicates and that meant that's why you ended up with the same thing but it just like then creates this issue doesn't it that now uh 
you know, firstly, you want to go fix the bug in the current existing app before the migration. So, you know, that's there. But you can no longer rely on the data in in the old app. It's going to be right because it's um, uh, you know, because you've got legacy stuff where it's all been in there. And then so now you have to build into the migration routines of saying, well, actually, the data in the old app might not be right. So let's try and fix it at the same time. So even though, you know, if people have the new version of the old app, if that makes sense, <laughs> mm. it, the data will be right. But if I have the old version of the old app, it won't. So now we've got to fix it. It goes through. And it's just, you know, you know, there's nothing really to learn here other than, you know, there was almost uh, an assumption in, in my head that because the old app was a shipping app, that it was going to be correct. And the problem must be in the new stuff that had been written. But, of course, that's not always true, is it? Because we always ship code with bugs in, no matter how hard we try. So there we are. The lesson learned yesterday was the bug can be anywhere, not just where you think it might be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, observing bugs in nature, they have this ability to fly from one place to another, and there can be swarms of them, and you can't, rem- you can't know whether the one that you thought was the bug you were looking at is the one and not just another one that flew in to hang out and replace it or to mate and create more yeah. and on a money well front just for a money well update it's yeah it's going pretty well with our, our beta program but oh boy is iCloud a pain in the ass it, it's um, it's virtually it's virtually impossible for us to test anything in iCloud in development mode it's uh, we can do certain tests from when we do it from our own test flight build because you know iCloud uses different areas if you're whether in your production or whether in your development for doing stuff and it's just oh it's a complete and utter nightmare doing testing uh, for the stuff that's going on in iCloud it really is quite problematic um, to us and it's like it makes you realize yeah we are this stuff is good when it works but when you can't get to it it's just yeah so, I mean, we're going to persist because obviously we don't want to start introducing our own servers now. And obviously, yeah, we were talking the other day about, you know, the moment you the moment you introduce a server element that you own to an application, you're really signing yourself up for 365, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, um, so, you know, being on call or support to keep by on servers and things. Uh, whereas when it's iCloud, yeah, iCloud's got problems, but it's not my job to keep it up, and there's nothing I can do about it. Wow, this is a memory line. So, what is that background whistling? Is that is that Barky the failure dog has now evolved and become a whistling human being who can whistle with disdain? Uh, maybe my door is closed, so I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so there we are. It's a uh, it's a week of frustration, but it's nice to see. Yeah, you know, going back to the the app that we find the bug in, it's nice that it's now in QA and it's we're making progress. And um, I did have the satisfaction today of uh, submitting a pull request um, uh, and a commit on the last of the bugs that were outstanding for phase one. So obviously that now is to get to go back through another test. So I'm in that mode now. I have an empty inbox as far as bugs for phase one are concerned with one test to go, is that going to be empty in the morning or <laughs> am I going back to work again? That is a, a good question. And the answer is, is uh, 
of course, everything will work out perfectly because um, it's summer solstice and, and all problems have been have been purified away. So something I've got to go look at now is in one of the apps I work on, you know that um, you have to ask for certain permissions in app, in Mac applications now, like if you want to use the camera, if you want to do screen recording for screen capture uh, and, and stuff like that. And you had to add it in system preferences and um, system preferences was, you know, it was always, it was really hard to explain. Um, there was a time when people, um, you know, would link you to a web page trying to show you what to do. Do you know what I'm talking about when you have to go yeah. and add these permissions for different apps yeah. um, in there? And so the in thing uh, and the right thing, I think, became to sort of like um, pop up a window. Uh, over the top of system preferences, switch, you know, use use um, a system call to open system preferences, switch it to um, the screen recording or the file access or whatever page and um, in there and then put up a sort of a transparent window maybe with an icon of your application in and an arrow pointing to where the right. icon needs to be dragged to <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah you've seen it and used it yeah so one of the apps and i did that on and it's um again that's something that's quite hard to test properly in development mode because every time you knew do, do a new build in xcode that's seen as a different different app and so you never quite secure the preferences all the time um whereas yeah once it's in production and in, in it's stable that's there but um of course um in um mac os pet detective the um <laughs> uh the system preferences i don't think it's even called system preferences anymore is it the system whatever it's now called what are they called System settings. Okay, so instead of being called system preferences, they're now system system settings. So it's more iOSing. It have all been rewritten, and are all I believe been done in Swift UI within within Apple. So the question that I haven't answered yet, and I have to go and take a look at, is does any of that code still work? And uh, can I venture to guess to say? No, no, or at least if nothing else. Now, one of the things about system uh, preferences that made this work before was that uh, system preferences would resize the window based on the preference pane that you were on, but you couldn't resize the window, if I if I remember rightly. Um, let me just check that now, actually, to see if that is, that is true on a, a non... Uh, I think so. If I go to system preferences, yeah, system preferences. If you pick sound, for example, you get one size window. If you pick, um, uh, okay, they're all roughly the same size, but you could create one with a different size if you're doing your own custom paint. So because it was the same size window, you always knew where everything was going to be on the screen. So hence why you could do things with arrows and, and whatever else, because you knew where you were going to drag to. And as long as you could locate the window, everything was good. But of course, now in the new system preferences or system settings as it is, I believe you can... Oh, no, you can't. I'm just trying it now. You can't resize the window. But I do believe the window is scrollable. So the scrollable content. So the 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 content, the the box where you may want to drag that icon, even if that bit still works, 
may not be in the same place anymore because there's a scrollable window. So I'm going to suggest that I've got some work to do there. That's right. Well, gosh, Scotty, in the in the um, interest of helping you get that work done, maybe we should consider bringing this to a close. Uh, okay. Okay. No, unless you had something riveting that you wanted to say. I was just trying to be mindful of you. I have I'm no- Californian. I have nothing riveting to say, John. I have okay. nothing. I'm actually now just in uh, Mac OS Pet Detective, ignoring you and looking at the system settings page and thinking about what I need to do. So we might as well I, move I, on. And I, you, I, we I can carry on talking if you Scott. like, but I'm already now working. So exactly, Scotty. So Scotty, if if people want to interrupt your work train, your 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 train of thought, and make sure that you're never able to fix any problems. How might they do that? Well, they could. I would say they could try it on Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to work because I don't go on there very often. <laughs> so um, I do check every couple of days, but uh, 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 there we are. But anyway, on Twitter, I am MacDevNet. And John, if people want to send you complaints about how I was just ignoring the audience and um, uh, just sort of looking at other things and trying to work things out, where should they do that? Well, they should find me on the place where people pay you know, rapt attention to everything that everyone says and believe most of it <laughs> to the detriment of society as a whole. Twitter, where you'll find me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Excellent. Well, John, it's been a, an absolute pleasure speaking to you again and um, talking about our, our hero moments, our woeful moments, and... Um, everything else that uh, that, that, that uh, we've done this week. So um, I'm traveling next week, so I'm not sure we'll even get a show. So people may have oh. to make, people may have to make this one last two weeks. <laughs> Do you hear that sound in the background? It's like people rushing to try and get themselves allocated to next week's show. Yeah. Oh, I'm next week. Oh, I'm next week. I'll pay double to have next week. <laughs> so if you are this week's listener and you now realize that if you'd just been allocated one week later you would have been free of all this you have my commiserations (laughs) but anyway thanks for listening and until next time you take Thank you.